Well, PPC is on the go. Did you hear all those announcements and read on the inside? If you haven't read yet, read. Well, you could read now, I suppose, but wait until about 30 minutes from now. And, uh, you know, then you can, read, you can read there then. So Easter Sunday uh, brings freedom. Freedom gets us to the starting line and the rest of the Christian story. I, I mean, actually, all the way through from the beginning of Scripture to the end is, is always about God on the go. God's on the go. God's on the move. And in surprisingly, impossibly holy ways. Right? Turns a phrase even that we, that we sing about. So we're on the go and we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke and going wherever God takes us and we're slowly adding some things uh, in different places that we go. I, I'd love a pair of cleats. If somebody has a pair of cleats, that'd be great. Bring them next week for me and just right in there, or ice skates or something like that. It gets awfully chilly in Southern California. Uh, but anyway, doesn't matter where you go, wherever God takes you, right? You are the hands and feet of Christ wherever you go. And that's a, an amazing challenge and a humbling reality, and yet that is the task for the people of God. So the inertia of the Christian story is always forward. It's like the Holy Spirit pulls forward. Where are we being pulled forward to? Sometimes we're being pushed, kicking and screaming with our heels dug in. <laughs> None of, nobody here, of course. Uh, other times we feel like we're running with the wind of the Spirit, right? So there's all kinds of different ways to experience this, this go, this inertia of the Christian story. And even for me as a human, I realize the older I get, going is even more of an interesting concept. There was uh, at least a couple of times this week, I did, literally did this, so my office is here, there's a hallway to the main office. I can remember leaving my office, getting halfway down the hallway, and I'm thinking, why am I leaving the office and why am I halfway down the hallway? So I do this, and of course, I don't know that this really helps, but it's a natural reaction. Okay, that's not what it was about. Then what I do is I go back to my office. Have you ever done this? I go back to my office because I totally forgot what I was going to do because somehow I think that's going to help me remember and I retrace my steps. Oh yeah, I was going to go get something I printed out. Now I'm headed back, I remembered, and boom, away I go, right? Funny, yet true. Nobody would do that here, would they? It's never, ever happened. Younger families, uh, what was that? Daily, thank you very much. Well, that was the first time it's ever happened to me. <laughs> That's never, ever happened to me before. And, you know, I can remember going back when we were raising little kids, right? Remember when you were raising little kids, moms, dads, grandparents? We're, we're being reintroduced to this kind of theme now, especially, you know, the toddlers, which it's a cruel joke by God that the toddlers begin to walk when they're this high. They should, if God was really thinking, they should be able to walk when they're a little bit taller because it's easier on the parental back. I mean, have you ever tried to chase after a toddler with one hand holding your back so you don't throw it out? I mean, there's that, that dynamic. But I'm also reminded families with younger kids on the go, it's an exhausting on the go. And so guys like me stand up here and talk about let's go. What? That seems counterintuitive. On a Sabbath day, nonetheless. So this inertia of the Christian story is filled with all kinds of possibilities and paradoxical perils. 
at the same time. But yet, the story is always forward-focused, always on the go. And not only that, we live in a world that's completely on the go, don't we? world doesn't slow down. Seems like it's speeding up. And yet today we slow down just a little bit to talk about what it means to be people of God on the go. Let's take a look at this text. And it's kind of fun to read this text, actually. It's narrative of the birth of Christ, which I had to laugh in my car driving home a couple of times this in November and December, but here it is in April, almost May, right? And uh, now if we lived in the Midwest and they just got 20 inches of snow last week, this would feel a little better. But we're in 85 degree weather and we're going to consider the birth narrative of Christ when it's 85 degrees. It's interesting though that many believe that Christ was born perhaps more this time of year as opposed to when We celebrate it in December. So not a bad, uncomfortable feeling, and and actually kind of refreshing, if I don't say so myself. So let's read the text. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, say that ten times really fast, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line, the lineage of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and I always love this phrase, it's so striking, and placed him in a manger. (laughs) What? A manger. A feeding trough. Talk about a low place. Because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now the music kicks in. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. No temas, cre solamente. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, just a common place, could be Placentia or Brea or Anaheim or Fullerton, just a common place. It was just one of the many options. A Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a second time. What? Feeding trough. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, now check out the cosmos is even singing this great song now, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them 
and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just, isn't this great? Don't read it too fast. Which were just as they had been told. The reading, God's word. Let's pray. Totally seems counterintuitive, God, to read the story of the birth of Christ in, what, April? What? And yet, in light of being uncomfortable at the time of season, maybe we can see this text in new ways, fresh ways, new eyes, in a way that inspires and transforms, and yes, even perhaps with great audacity, sends us out to go. Forgive us when we sentimentalize this story. Forgive us when we make this story about a certain feeling that we all want to tabernacle in our heart and worship. This is a story about God doing the impossible holy in low places, in common places, And to the extent that the heavens say yes, it's a story of go. And yet we dig in, and yet we fight it, and yet we make it all these other things. We are your people, you are our God. Provoke us to holy action. And may we, rec- may we receive and accept your challenge on this Sabbath Sunday day. In your name, amen. Well, uh, what do I want to talk to you about today? Pretty simple, actually. May, there may not be anything new here. It really is pretty, fairly simple. Every single one of us in this room, we should go. And we should go for three reasons, right out of the text. Uh, The first reason, notice, and I mentioned it a couple of times, is that Jesus shines in low places. And that's not a Garth Brooks song. Thank you for laughing at my comedy. Jesus shines in lowly places. Jesus goes to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest places. Jesus goes to the least likely to succeed rooms in our homes and he reestablishes those places and he meets us there in a manger. (laughs) A feeding trough. 
Wait, you got to be kidding me. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the second member of the Trinity, who resided as the second person of the Godhead, humbled himself so much to the extent that he took the form of a human being. He left heaven and he went to earth, go, and he was born as a human and they placed him where? A feeding trough? I mean, seriously, God, you need a better writer. I mean, really? And some of us have actually seen replicas of those feeding troughs. Remember that? Made out of stone. It's nice and soft for stone. Put a little hay and straw in there, and it's actually probably quite nice. If you're not allergic to hay and straw. Yep, Jesus shines in low places, and that's where we're called to go. But do we? <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone to jail three times. Ooh, that was an awkward silence. <laughs> gone to jail three times to visit people. One guy I wrote about a lot in my book, I think about him all the time, almost, almost once a week, if not more often than that, his name, was, his name was Derek. I might have changed his name in the book. Can't go into all the details of the book, uh, of his life, but Derek was trying to get his life back together. He had been in jail, he was let out, getting his life back, and he made another mistake, and boom, he was back in jail. So I went to visit him. His aunt asked me to go. Uh, you know, I, I'm, it's not a place where I'm all that excited to go. But it's part of the job. And it's also part of lowly places. And so I went and, making the long story really short, because I care for you, Managed to find my way to the room, open the door. It's a tiny little spot, sat in my chair, a little lower to the ground than this glass right in front of us. Walked up comes Derek. He looks right at me, gets tears in his eyes on my phone. I reach for the phone, he reaches for his phone, and we begin to have a conversation. And we chatted for a little bit, but he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And I may have told you the story before, but it's one of the better ones that come to my mind when I think of low places. He said, Tobin, don't give up on me. Tobin, please don't ever give up on me. And I just looked at him. <laughs> and I, I tried to let all the love and compassion that I could muster as a human being and let the Holy Spirit of God take it even that much further. And I tried to look into his eyes, through his eyes, into his, the core of his being so that my words could speak to his heart and God could touch him and say, Derek, I am never, ever going to give up on you. Ever. He had tears rolling down his eyes. He said, Tobin, I've waited my whole life for an adult male that's older than me to say something like that, that my dad calls me dirty. My dad has a red file in his office at home, and it says, Dirty Derek. 
And it's all the ways that Derek cost him money over the years. He's kept a record. Derek even had DD tattooed on his wrist as a reminder of the curse of his life. Dirty Derek. I said, Derek, that's a curse. We need to rename DD. You can't get it removed. <laughs> At least until you get out of here. We got to give you a new name. What's it going to be? I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was Delightful Derek, something like that. Different Derek. Christ comes in low places. Jesus shines in low places. That's where Jesus hangs out. Do you have a Derek-like person in your life? You need one. You know why you need one? You need one to remind all of us that it's precisely in those exact locations where Jesus, the Messiah, hangs out. And it's called a feeding trough. A manger built for animals, redeemed by Jesus, to the extent that human beings can find value and worth and dignity again. No more dirty Derek, delightful Derek. Because if we can't make room for low people in low places, we're not making room for Jesus himself in our own life. Or to put it differently, to the extent that we make room for folks in low places, that's the extent that we make room for Jesus. So we really ought to be about the business of making room for atheists who become agnostics, by the way. You know what an atheist is, right? Somebody that doesn't believe in God. An agnostic, you know what an agnostic is? Somebody who believes there is a God but lives their life as if there isn't, almost a nihilist, which now begs the question, do you know what a nihilist is? There's the word for the day. You can Google search it later. There's some homework. So we do. We make room for doubters, and we love doubters here. We, should lo we love atheists here. We love agnostics here. We love people who are in low places here in the church. Anybody that's ever been put out to the outside of any church institution, there's room for those folks here. Why? Because Jesus shines in low places. A feeding trough? Are you kidding me? And that list gets really long when you look around our world today, right? Different races, different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds, different sexual preferences, different, 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 different. Uh, we're in the business of making room for the other. It's called, it's called manger-ing. It's called feed-troughing. Is that the right word? Did I say it right? Thank you. 
It's called others. And that's what we do is when we go, we got to create some space for all people to breathe because we don't ever, ever know when the Holy Spirit of God is just going to just blast into somebody's life. And reinvent them. So that dirty Derek becomes delightful Derek. We don't ever know when that's going to happen. We got no clue. And more often than not, we just play a shiny, small, tiny little role in that entire process. So yeah, we should all go, and we should all go for this first reason, because that's where Jesus shines in those low places. It's coming right out of the story. Jesus shines in lowly places. That's where Jesus hangs out. Second reason to go, Jesus shines in common places, like Bethlehem and Nazareth. You know, nobody thought anything good could ever come out of Nazareth. And yet... The lineage of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes from Nazareth. The incarnation, the full incarnation of all that it means for God to be God is through Nazareth and the line of David, an adulterer, to a feeding trough. (laughs) Talk about holy impossible, Batman. I remember as a, I'm sitting on a chair for a reason, because I kind of want it to be more of a community conversation here. I remember as a young pastor, moking, moking, working, <laughs> sounded a lot like smoking, working a lot with uh, junior high, high schoolers and college-age students. Years ago, we we'd started going on short-term mission trips, and they were fabulous. They trans- transformed our life and the trajectory of our, of our world, you know, our, our ministry life together. And going on these short-term mission trips, Bahamas, uh, Honduras two or three times, Presbyterian border ministry to Mexico. Oh, my goodness. Africa, honestly, 15 or 16 times to North Africa, South Africa, East Africa, West Africa. Um, Guatemala, those are just a few of the places over the years that we were able to go to. And, and going to these locations and seeing, seeing God at work in low places with people that had so much less than we did, yet so much more joy and purpose and understanding of what it means to go and not be afraid of going uh, where it might be dangerous always blew my mind. It just always challenged me in every single way. I can remember one time in particular, uh, early, early on in these, taking a flight from Minneapolis to Amsterdam to Sierra Leone. They wouldn't let you off the plane, armed guards out there. You weren't supposed to take pictures. I, took, I got a picture. And uh, then we, we went to Conakry, Guinea, West Africa. And Conakry, Guinea, West Africa was uh, originally a French colony. Uh, the French pulled out like most of the other imperial uh, states did and kind of left 
the indigenous folks to figure out how to do life on their own. Some left too fast, some most left too fast. And a lot of other crazy things happened because of the quick leave, the quick le leaving, bad grammar, sorry. A French colony and the Russians were there mining coal, coal uh, to export back. And one of the fascinating things, this is the first time I'd ever been to a country where they didn't have electricity and power 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, by the time we got there, it was, the sun had just set it. The sun had just set. <laughs> set it? This, maybe I better stand up. The sun had just set, and we were making our way from the airport to where we were going to stay. It was a youth center that our church had funded most of the work with a gentleman named Amos Adaranmu, and he was the gentleman that put this whole thing together, and we were driving through the streets, the rutted out potholes, and there was a civil war that had just taken place. You could still see the bullet holes in, in, in all the walls, and you just, it was just ravished from war and civil war, and, and the poverty was ridiculous, and you almost had to hold your nose. The smell was so bad, and actually some people in our group brought Vicks Vapor Rub, and they put it underneath their nose just to satisfy the aroma which is a common trick if you need that somewhere along the line. I always wanted to force myself not to do that because I wanted to understand more faithfully and fully what it meant to be in a place that needed Jesus, the Jesus from a manger. And it was dark. There was no lights on it. It was a big city, and uh, our Range Rover was the only thing giving off any light going through this, I guess you would call it a suburb, very loosely. Little uh, campfires here and there along the sides of the road, burning embers with the charcoal. And we came up over a hill and around a bend, and all of a sudden it was unbelievable. It was amazing. There were lights on. It was like, it was like if you went to the baseball game last night and there was a blackout everywhere except for the baseball diamond, the lights were on. And I asked, what are those lights for? And they said, that's the youth center. That's our compound. We have a generator. And it was an amazing image of a city on a hill. You know, it's right out of Matthew. Don't let your, uh, don't, don't put your light where people can't see it. Let, let your light shine. You're a city on a hill, friends. Because when Jesus goes to places, Jesus shines the light and love of God in common places wherever they are at. And I began to realize when I went to these locations that the principles that I was learning should be, ought to be, better be, reproduced right in the neighborhoods where all our churches exist. So what I learned in all these other locations, tried to implement in ministry wherever it's been, Minneapolis, suburb of Seattle, suburb of Los Angeles, we're in Orange County, in Placentia. So when you hear me talk about things like what is our role right in a common place called Placentia, it's not that I'm against globalism and against what we've done in the mission mindset and landscape overseas and over there. It's, it's that God put us first right in this place. This is our parish. Catholics have it right. This setting, this location, right here. And how do we take these principles of community development that others have learned in other developing world contexts and put them in motion right here, today, right now?
Because I guarantee you, the time that I've been sitting in here, and we've been in here this morning, there have probably been, I wish I had somebody out there counting and I could send them a text. How many people have just walked across this sidewalk since we've been in here for the last hour and, well, I'm not going to tell you how long we've been in here. <laughs> hour and ten minutes. I don't know that it'd be the same number of folks that are in here, but my guess is it'd be a fairly significant number. We did this uh, a few weeks ago, and in 15 minutes, 10 people walked by. Somebody counted for me. So it's conceivable that as many people that have been sitting in here have been walking outside on our sidewalk. And the call for us as a church to go means we shine the love of Christ in low places right where we're at. In these common places right where we live and move and breathe and go to work and raise our kids. And so there's this balance, and I think the Holy Spirit of God does this on purpose in Acts 1.8. First Jerusalem, first right where you're embedded and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and all the way around the world and into your back door again. This is our primary starting point right here. Because Jesus shines in his hometown too. Jesus shines in Nazareth and Bethlehem and Anaheim and Placentia, Brea. And that's what it means really honestly and truly, quite profoundly and simply, that's what it means to go. And when that kind of thing happens, Jesus shines, and it's the third reason to go. Jesus actually smiles in the cosmos. Did you catch some of the language in the text? God born and laid in a manger in common, ordinary places, and the whole heavenly chorus, choir, broke out in song. Is that not beautiful? I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. It's like, it's like the ceiling opens up right here and this heavenly chorus, if I can paint this crazy, wild, holy, and impossible image for you, just sings and says, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right here. Yeah. I remember the first time, I'm almost done. I remember the first time that I ever came to Los Angeles years ago. I think I was working early 2000s. I was working on my D-min at Fuller. And a friend of mine, a young man from mine that I, that I knew, he was in my youth ministry in uh, Minneapolis. He had migrated out here um, trying to get into, uh, like everybody else, he was a model. So he's modeling so that he could do commercials, so that he could get on TV, so that he could do movies, right? Does <laughs> so anybody else? Don't answer. So John was out here doing that, and I was pretty proud of John. John was an interesting guy. He came to Christ, he walked away, he professed agnostic, and then he kind of came back to Christ. But he was out here trying to make his life, you know, doing this thing, and uh, met up with John, and 
John kind of showed me the sights, and it was, again, a nighttime drive because I was in class most of the day. Got in his car, and we started driving around. He's pointing out all these fun things. And then we came around this bend, and, and there were the Hollywood lights. Oh. At night. Remember the first time you saw the lights at night? It's all lit up. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that should not be hidden. I was, I was blown away. And I thought it was cool. It's not that big a deal, but it kind of is when you're from the Midwest, you know. I mean, and all of a sudden, whoa, there it is, man. That's, that's awesome. And I, I can remember thinking about this text. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, which I've never seen anybody do this, by the way. But we behave that way. Sometimes. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Everyone. So in the same way, PPC, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying the exact same thing that the birth narrative says. Don't be afraid to go to low places. You're going to see Jesus there. And when you go to low places, make sure that they're in, in your neighborhood. It's just a different way of saying Nazareth. And it's kind of the truth. Because when that happens... Glorifies your God who's in heaven. So this journey we're on is, is greater than any Hollywood lights. You know, this journey of going. Man. Meaning and purpose and significance for every single human being that calls himself a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You believe it? you believe it? Amen. You know? Anything else, it's just a show. Anything else, it is just Hollywood. And we're not in the Hollywood business. We're in the feeding trough business. And that could be the weirdest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Perhaps that too. Let's pray together. For all the heroes and sheroes of faith who say yes to your call to go. And in this order, starting right here in the neighborhood, across the street, to Jerusalem and Judea in the country, and to the ends of the earth, wherever that takes us globally, all the way into the back door of this place, we stand in this moment on the shoulders of the men and women who for 105 years have said yes to that great, powerful, and simple call. And you're not done yet. And for that, 
We get on a knee because we're so humbled and in awe of a God that just keeps on doing that thing. And we want to be part of it. May it be so. In your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand.